Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Strap on your parachute. It's time for What Goes Up with Sarah Ponzik and Mike Regan. Hello and welcome to What Goes Up, a Bloomberg weekly markets podcast. I'm Mike Regan, a senior editor at Bloomberg. And I'm Katie Greifeld, filling in for Sarah Ponsack this week. Hey, Katie, as I understand, you're celebrating a big cat birthday this week. Is that right? You know, Mike, I was hoping you'd bring it up, but I have to correct you. It's actually a cat anniversary. We got Catrick five years ago, but uh, his birthday is actually in July. Oh, it's an anniversary. Okay. (laughs) But Catrick was a big scam, wasn't he? Didn't you think you were picking up like a hairless cat and, and you got this hairy cat instead? It's true. It's true. So Patrick is a Russian Peterbald. And for listeners unfamiliar, that's one of the hairless cat breeds. And uh, we got him from a breeder in Western Canada. And she told it she sent us some baby pictures and he, he has some fuzz. And she was like, don't worry, he's going to lose 70 percent of his hair once he starts to grow up. And uh, I mean, we're five years in and it hasn't happened, but <laughs> fingers crossed. All right. All right. Good. Once you have it, you don't want to lose it. I would not want to lose 70 percent of my hair. I'll tell you that. But anyway, uh, (laughs) this week on the show, yet more record highs for benchmark U.S. equity indexes. This despite some of the deadliest days yet of the coronavirus. So what about that rotation we've all been hearing about from stay at home winners to the reopening stocks? We'll talk to a strategist about what she's advising clients uh, for the rest of the year and next year. And of course, we will close out the show with our tradition, the craziest thing I saw in markets this week. Katie, I trust you came prepared. Oh, big time. Okay. No offense to Sarah, but she sets a pretty low standard. I think you can <laughs> I th- I think you can outdo her pretty easily. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw that out there. I'm just kidding. Sarah will kill me. But anyway, let's get to this week's guest. We're very happy to have her on the show for the first time. She is a senior wealth strategy associate at UBS Private Wealth Management. Her name is Jacqueline Remen. Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Katie. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Jacqueline, I'm trying to picture what it's like to be a strategist at a, at a wealth management shop these days. There must be a lot of confused clients. You know, I, I picture people saying, "Well, what should I do? Buy Tesla and Bitcoin, and or, or buy a Tesla and fill it up with Bitcoin?" But I'm just curious, you know, it's such a weird market this year. Uh, we've obviously had the recession and yet this raging bull market. What are the clients, what's top of mind for, for your clients these days? Are they worried about this euphoria in the market or are they all in, ready to sort of power the market higher, ready to, to take risk? Yeah, and that's a great question. I know right now our clients are really you know, looking at the economic data that we're seeing and seeing what's going on with the markets. And it causes confusion because, like you said, record number of COVID cases that we're experiencing right now, record hospitalizations. We're hearing about high unemployment. And it's hard to understand how that's happening. And yet the market's hitting record highs. So what we talk to our clients about is how important it is to really decouple that economic data from what we're seeing with the markets. 
We know that the market's forward-looking. It's looking to a vaccine already being out and widely distributed by the second quarter of 2021, and the economy really reopening um, in the third quarter. So the economy is a lagging indicator, which we know. So that data hasn't caught up to the forward-looking reality that the market is trading on. So we're really telling clients to, you know, remember to keep that separate and to understand that it makes sense that they're fearful with everything that's going on with coronavirus. That being said, you know, the market's trading positively on the news that the vaccine will be out by the end of the second quarter. And, you know, we're, we're looking ahead to that. So Jacqueline, I want to ask, you know, you make the point that the economic recovery and the market recovery are separate things. But, you know, do you worry that the markets are looking ahead too much? And I mean, for example, small caps had their best month ever in November. Value had its best month ever. Is there a risk that we get to 2021 and all the good news is already priced in? You know, we're not seeing that. You know, what we're doing right now is really looking at what got us to where we are and knowing that what got us here won't get us there. So what we're looking at is making adjustments in the portfolio for that next leg. We do like small and mid caps. We do think that they are cyclical and have further room to grow as the economy reopens. Um, and then we're also being selective in what sectors we're overweighting within the portfolio, like consumer discretionary, healthcare, financials, and industrials. So obviously, then the big the big elephant in the room is tech. You know, I wonder to me what I I worry about. I tend to worry a lot, so maybe I, I over worry. Uh, as you get older, you, you uh, maybe you worry too much. But it, it's hard to me for me to imagine this sort of rotation into the cyclical consumer, financial, industrial type of stocks, and out of tech without kind of a, a nasty looking market from the 30,000 foot index level, you know, how, how do you rotate out of Apple and Amazon and into, you know, I don't know, airlines and that sort of thing without sort of having a nasty day in the market uh, with, the, the you know, selling off these big mega cap names. Is that a risk or is it going to be sort of more of a mild, you know, take a little profit on tech and, and, and take a flyer on some of the cyclical names that, we won't necessarily uh, ever put at risk the, the these record levels for indexes, do you think? You know, I think the second part of what you said, Mike, is exactly it. In our portfolios, we're not eliminating tech altogether. We, we like tech. Within our tech space, we're adding certain spaces that are more cyclical, like digital transformation, the 5G enabling technologies, cybersecurity. But that doesn't mean we're removing those mega cap tech names. We're definitely, you know, still keeping them within the portfolio. And what we know is we, we see that historically when there's a 10 or 12 percent pullback in tech like we saw this fall, we know that it's usually followed by a 20 percent or even higher rebound within the next six months. So, um, yeah, we, we're keeping tech in the portfolio for sure. I want to follow up on Mike's question and drill down a little bit more on where tech fits into the rotation. It felt like in the really early innings, you know, right after we got the, that Pfizer and BioNTech news that it turned into sell tech. And I'm just curious to know the next stage of the reopening trade, what does it look like? Is that is it is an economic recovery where growth is rebounding? Is that necessarily bad news for the tech sector? Yeah, we don't we don't see that as bad news at all. We don't see them as being overpriced. We think that it's appropriately valued, largely given what the expectations are for future cash flow and also given how low rates are. And we yeah, we don't see that as a bad thing at all. 
you know, Jacqueline, one uh, interesting preference for, from you guys is you, mid-cap. It's, it's interesting. You don't often hear people talk about mid-caps perhaps as much as they should. I mean, I guess if you want to sort of take advantage of that size factor, everyone goes from one, one end of the spectrum to the other, either mega caps or, or small caps. Is that part of it? Is, or, or is mid caps just sort of a forgotten space that, that, you know, maybe there's not a lot of ETFs that track it. There's, you know, I don't think there's any futures on any of the mid cap indexes. It's just kind of this forgotten corner of the market that maybe gets overlooked. Is that part of it? Yeah, I think so. And we know that we've seen that they've lagged large caps largely this year. We know that they're more cyclical in nature. And we think that they're going to really be a beneficiary of the further stimulus that we're expecting to come in the coming weeks and and the broader economic recovery as well. And to follow up on the the stimulus package, I mean, it feels like the new trade war. It's just back and forth on these <laughs> stimulus headlines. Right. And I mean, I, I'm wondering, does the size of the stimulus package matter this week or matter to markets at this point, whether it's 500 billion like McConnell is pushing or 900 billion? I mean, does it matter or do markets just want to see something at this point, some sort of fiscal bridge to when we actually do start to see the vaccine being distributed? What we think is just, you know, knowing, like you said, that there will be a stimulus package, regardless of the size, will be viewed as a positive. And like you said, going back and forth on the size, whether it's 500 billion or, you know, closer to a trillion, or I know they're saying 912 billion right now. And just knowing that that has been passed, I think will allow consumers to breathe a sigh of relief and will be a positive for the markets. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. It kind of reminds me of the trade war last year, you know, progress in the trade war, uh, more progress today. It's it's a similar story. It's almost like the the talk of it and the anticipation of it almost feels like what really gets people excited. I wonder, you know, if it turns into a sort of a show me, uh, show me the results now afterwards. So um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. Katie, I wanted to ask you about a, a pretty interesting story you had out this week, too, about Obviously, everyone is gearing up for Tesla to be added to the S&P 500. You had some interesting stats there about so much alpha being generated for fund managers by owning Tesla that, guess what, once it joins the index, <laughs> that's all gone. Walk us through what that story was about. because I, I think that's a sort of an overlooked uh, interesting thing about active management is how one way to beat the index is this stellar, incredible stock that is fifth or sixth biggest company in the country now and is not in the index. What, what did you learn reporting that story? Yeah, so an interesting second derivative of Tesla being added to the index is that it's kind of taking away a secret weapon for you know a lucky set of active managers. So we crunched the numbers and we looked at 215 with at least 500 million in assets. We found that just 21 of them hold Tesla 
And the ones that do, again, they are benchmarked to the S&P 500, I should say that. And just 21 of them hold Tesla. And of that, 80% are beating the benchmark, which can pretty much be tied back to the fact that Tesla is up 580% this year. I mean, it just seems to keep growing. So, I mean, Active has had a hard year in general. I mean, first you had the S&P 500 being dragged higher by just a handful of really five mega cap tech names. And it's hard to beat the benchmark if you're not overweight those names. And now for the ones that had found this edge in Tesla that could potentially you know, be taken away, it is set to be taken away on December 21st. So we spoke to Matt Bartolini at State Street Global Advisors who said that really this just creates another hurdle, another headache for active managers looking, you know, just to outperform in what has just feels like it was going straight up the S&P 500 up until August, really. Yeah, Jacqueline, I'm, I'm curious how from a, you know, a professional in the wealth management uh, side of the business, how often do these sort of phenomenal high-flying story stocks like that get brought up in conversation? I just picture a lot of clients calling you guys up and being like, put it all in Tesla, put it all in Tesla, or put it all in Nikolai, whatever the hot stock of the week is. Is that, you know, am I, am I making that up or is that sort of a common discussion you guys have with clients? Well, you know, our clients, the way that we um, work with clients is that we do goals-based investing. So our entire investment process is based around a financial plan. And then from there, we're setting an asset allocation and making sector security selections based on where we see things going long term. So we we don't really talk as much about single stock as we talk about sectors, asset allocation, and how that fits in with the plan. So, you know, typically no, but when you hear a story like that, that gets a lot of traction on the news. Of course, yeah, it comes up in conversation, certainly. Right, right. So uh, I'm I'm noticing in your notes, uh, UBS has a June 2021 S&P target of about 3,800, mm-hmm. uh, about 6.5 percent gain. I guess from you know it's it's hard to say these days that that could be uh, we could be there by the end of the day. Right. <laughs> so uh, you know, walk us through how we get there. Is it a slow grind higher? Do you think, or are we going to see uh, some more volatility? And, and the reason I ask is I I keep my eye on the VIX, and I've noticed mm-hmm. that 20 level on the VIX, which you know, 2019 was an almost unspeakably high number. Um, it really seems to be the floor now um, for the VIX. I- I'm guessing there is people embracing this rally, embracing these new record highs, but certainly not doing it without a, a little bit of an insurance policy uh, to-, to sort of accommodate it, uh, to go along with it. What's your uh, outlook for-, for volatility? Is it going to be a-, a rocky road to get to that 3,800 target by the middle of next year? Uh, you know, is, is it going to be a nail biter, do you think? You know, we're, we are expecting some volatility, namely around what's happening with the pandemic. And to the extent there's a second wave, we're not foreseeing any national shutdowns, but certainly depending on the direction of the numbers, you know, regional shutdowns and pullbacks and believe that the market will be impacted by that and will experience volatility until that vaccine comes out. And then more short term to volatility around the stimulus package and whether it'll pass before Congress goes on that Christmas break. And I want to circle back. You made an interesting point earlier when we were talking about tech that, you know, you're looking at the more cyclical areas of tech. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit on that. You know, what is considered a cyclical area within tech, would you say? 
Yeah, so we're looking at 5G, cybersecurity, AR, VR, telesurgery, the idea of autonomous driving, those as more cyclical 5G enabling technology themes. Yeah, 5G, I think, is is uh, the big game changer, obviously. And I, 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 it's interesting because I, you know, I do think it'll take a little while to see who the, how the winners and losers shake out. But I mean, I guess there's there's enough known about, OK, this chip maker, that chip maker, you know, this this device maker. I, you know, it all boils down to me, you know, when we talk about this rotation and, and whether you consider it, consider it a value growth rotation or a size rotation, stay at home to, to reopening, whatever it is. It seems to me like it's it's bound to have an expiration date. It's hard for me to picture a market where tech is not the star of the show over the long term. You know, uh, maybe we'll have value outperform even for all of, of the rest of the year, half of next year. But it's hard for me to ever see tech not being that that star of the, the equity show after that. Once life's back to normal, we kind of mean revert on valuations of the, of the sectors that got hit the worst by COVID. I mean, it's not a safe assumption. Do you think, you know, we'll all end up sort of rotating back to tech eventually? Yeah, I think so. And I think that, you know, almost all sectors have a tech component now, right? We're talking about financial technology and fintech and contactless and mobile payments, health technology, green energy and green tech. So I think, you know, through this next decade, that becomes more and more of a reality as tech enters all the different sectors. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash radio. You know, and I was wondering, Jacqueline, if you could help me understand what's going on in the bond market at all. It feels like this reflation, this reopening trade, whatever you want to call it, has really been embraced by stock traders. But bond traders, it feels like, are really a pessimistic bunch. You know, the 10-year Treasury yield keeps testing 1% and it just keeps failing, it feels like. So, I mean, is that really just Fed expectations or, I mean, is it safe to say that the bond market is a little more pessimistic? Yeah, I know we're expecting that the Fed's going to keep rates near zero through 2023. So we are expecting that low for longer interest rate. And what we're doing in our portfolios really is looking for yield through dividend paying stocks like in the financial space, for instance, or in healthcare to try and you know increase that that yield in the portfolio. Oh, that's interesting. So in general, more risky allocation, do you think? If if you consider dividend stocks maybe not as risky as as other equities, but is it an active reduction of sort of that? theoretical 60-40 allocation. I mean, I'm sure you don't all allocate exactly the 60-40, but, but, you know, using that as a baseline, is there kind of this, this, you know, different strategy now to, to 
ease up on treasuries. I, I, I can't imagine anyone just holding on to a treasury right now. I, I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. So is, you know, is. We definitely think there's a place for them in within the portfolio for sure. But we, for, for fixed income, but yeah, and looking for yield where we're doing so often in with dividend paying stocks in those sectors. Yeah. Interesting. And I mean, in terms of where to find safety, I mean, you make the point that in looking for yield, maybe treasuries aren't the place. But I mean, especially the last few months, there's been a lot of back and forth on whether treasuries are serving their purpose within portfolios at all, whether they are still a good hedge for equity risk. I know there were a few instances in October or September, it's hard to remember, where um, you know, treasuries really barely budged even when stocks were falling out of bed. I mean, do you is that still the buffer it was? Yeah, I, I think so to some extent. Yeah, we like them in the portfolio for that reason. We also are using tips, um, corporate investment grade bonds, and like I said, the dividend stocks as well. And then in terms of, you know, safety and having that hedge, we also, you know, like gold for that reason as well. All right. Safety is one thing, Katie, but what the people want is the crazy. It's not the safest thing I heard in markets this week. <laughs> Stand clear of the craziest things we saw in markets this week. So uh, let's start with you. I, I want to I wanna see how your crazy thing game is. Okay, time to shine. Well, I know that you checked in on Bill Gross and his fight with his neighbor a few weeks ago, <laughs> but now it's being tried in the court of law. So I want to bring you a few updates. And of course, this is connected to markets because... Bill Gross was the Bond King, but uh, his neighbor, and again, they're in a fight over a sculpture outside Bill Gross's house. Bill Gross blasted the Gilligan Islands theme. It sounds very, very <laughs> dramatic, very fun. Um, yes. But his it's, it's a glass sculpture <laughs> that that mysteriously keeps breaking. And, uh, you know, no it's idea actually, if it's... It's nice looking. I could understand how maybe you don't want it on your property line. I'm not sure what the exact dispute <laughs> is, but it looks pretty nice from what I saw on the internet. Yeah. Well, you had to put up a giant net around it, too, which I, I don't think the neighbor appreciated blocking his view of the Pacific. So uh, True. There's that. True. But yeah, catch us up on the court drama. This is, this is like uh, a courtroom drama here. I love it. Well, the neighbor testified in court this week that Bill Gross is an angry billionaire with a short fuse and that the money manager actually offered his condolences. Bill Gross offered his condolences to the neighbor when he moved in. But the angry billionaire thing, I don't know if it's the best put down I've ever heard because I would love to be any type of billionaire, truly angry or not. Right, right. You'd think the anger level would reason subside a little bit uh, as you became a billionaire but i guess i guess maybe not so uh <laughs> hey bill gross is still living his life the way bill gross sees fit i'm all i'm all for it yeah I I'm, but i will have to keep checking back on this story as it progresses absolutely one of my favorites for the year all right jacqueline no pressure on you but uh i'm sure they warned you of our gimmick here yes and, and hopefully you came prepared okay. <laughs> yes i did and it's Different type of crazy, I would say. So my craziest thing this week was seeing that the Dow was up over 11.84% in November, the best one-month performance since January 1987. It is pretty crazy. Some Sometimes the this year, the craziest things are the things staring you right at the, in the face, right. which is, is totally yeah. true. 11% in a month. I mean, and of course, once you hear that 1987 comparison, I, I, people may take that a little bit too far. I wasn't alive. So that's pretty crazy oh, to me. Oh, <laughs> so, man. Sorry to dump that on you. Oh, man. 
What the heck? All right. Well, I was an awkward teenager, so uh, <laughs> we're, we're equal, I guess. <laughs> but all right. And, and I, I was an awkward teenager in the suburbs of Philadelphia, which is a good uh, segue to my crazy thing, which is about Black Friday, which I think for gauging the health of those consumer stocks, Jacqueline, obviously mm-hmm. one of the most important days of the year. Everyone's curious how this this Black Friday would, would flesh out. The question, though, and, and I don't have a prices right. We often play prices right with this segment, but I, I, I will pose the question to each of you and see if you get it right. Who knows where the term Black Friday came from? Either of you? Katie? No, not close. No, I don't know either. No idea? Mm-mm. Jacqueline? But traditionally, I, I had always heard that it was the day, it was such a big day for retailers that it was the day they, they went from the red ink to the black ink, I guess, meaning mm. profitable for the year. I could not so that. says, Not so says yeah. the New York Times. Rather, the New York Times attempts to pin it on Philadelphia sports fans. And this is where I get really offended because my homeland of Philadelphia has a very bad reputation for our sports fans. I think it largely comes from the New York media, though, because it's such a powerful media and rivals of our Philadelphia teams. I'm just going to throw that out there. But according to the New York Times, historians, quote unquote, they're not they're not attributing it to any specific historian. Certainly was not a University of Penn historian, I bet. But historians say it originated in Philadelphia in the 1960s when throngs of shoppers and tourists would descend on the city on the day between Thanksgiving and the Army-Navy football game. The Army-Navy game was traditionally played on Saturday after Thanksgiving. So what they're saying is this mob of angry Philadelphia sports fans would invade the city on the Friday after Thanksgiving. And the Philadelphia police took to calling the day Black Friday because officers had to work long hours and deal with bad traffic, bad weather, and other, quote, crowd-related miseries. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I'm, I might write a letter to the New York Times. I'm not sure I buy this. <laughs> I think this is just another attempt to blaspheme the good sports fans of Philadelphia. You think, Katie? I don't as, know. As a, as a Jersey resident, or at least a Jersey native, Jersey I, I need you on board with this campaign to yeah, some degree. I know well, you're, nor- you're north of the Jersey Mason-Dixon line, but still. Aspiring New Jersey resident. I don't know. I, I do think it sounds like a bit of a stretch. Uh, I'm not trying to start beef with the New York Times, though, so maybe don't CC me on that email. <laughs> <laughs> but Jacqueline, what was, uh, what was your impression of Black Friday? Is it as big of a deal as it used to be when you're trying to analyze consumer trends, or is this... This year is such a crazy year that it's kind of a write-off. You know, it is it is certainly a big deal and the whole holiday season is too. So, you know, looking looking at the rest of the year and seeing how that all pans out. Um, and I know too, a lot of the big the big consumer discretionary companies are starting way earlier, you know, even into October with their sales and pushing for the season. So to be seen. Yeah. So to be to be determined. Well, we'll have to leave it at that as I go and dash off an angry letter to the New York Times. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're probably right. I mean, we we Phillies fans deserve everything they throw at us, I guess. But that one hit a nerve. Not as big of a nerve as Katie hit by saying she was not alive during the 1987 <laughs> market. That, that one hurts, too. But Mike, I wasn't either. I didn't want to rub it in, but I was oh. over. Uh, <laughs> Double man. whammy here. <laughs> man, you millennials. You mill- I'm shaking my fist. You millennials. <laughs> Now, I'm a big fan of the millennial generation. I like I consider myself sort of an honorary millennial. So 
Hopefully I'll you welcome guys... you in. I'll, yeah, I'll we'll take you. Yeah. We'll take you. I <laughs> love avocado toast, so I'm, I, I've got the bonus. <laughs> you fair right in. Anyway, Jacqueline Remen of UBS Private Wealth, we thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What Goes Up will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, website, and app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like it if you took time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Reganonymous. Follow Sarah at Sarah Ponzak. And Katie Greifeld is at K Greifeld. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at at Podcasts. And thank you to Charlie Pellet of Bloomberg Radio and the voice of the NYC subway system. What Goes Up is produced by Jordan Gaspore. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio. 